Climbers, this is your host, Johnny D. And this is your host, Brent. And we just wanted to share some big news with you. The Climb Show Music Business Podcast is now a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network. And we're super excited to be with a great part of this network, along with some other amazing music podcasts. That's right. So you want to make sure and check out americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast, or click the link in the episode notes to listen to some of the best shows in music. Hey, Johnny, do your thing. Welcome to the club. This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. It's what you're going to need in today's music business. It's not just about your talent as a singer, a songwriter, an indie artist. It matters that you have people who like what you do and that you can prove that, that you have data, that you have a book of business and that you're moving forward and you can prove to other people that your art is competitive. Therefore, the more of that data that you have, the more leverage you have. And that's when you're going to get the deal, the publishing deal, the record deal, the booking deal, the management deal, the investor deal, etc. That's why we called it the climb, creating leverage in the music business. It's brilliant. It's a Baxteronym. It's from my co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter, who's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. And he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you can write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then on a regular basis, he gives you the opportunity to connect with the pro so you can see where you're at and maybe even create a relationship. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Yeah, it sounds complicated, but thankfully, Johnny's smart. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. This production, singular, no S, and there's no S because there is no other. Johnny D. How you doing, man? Man, I'm good. I'm a little nervous today. Why is that? I'm not going to lie. Just a little apprehensive about today's episode. Uh-oh. Yeah, because I'm afraid we might lose some people along the way. Some people may not make it through the whole episode. They may turn it off and cuss me. Oh, really? Yeah, that's true. So you're going to be provocative, agent provocateur. Yeah, we're going to land safely. You just got to make the whole trip with us. You know, there's going to be a safe landing. You just got to come through the whole trip with us. So hang in there, dear climbers. All right. Well, before we do that, let's get to some business here. Join the climb community if you haven't done so. You have to ask to be let in, but we let everybody in. And man, singers, songwriters, indie artists, musicians, everybody. We've got a thriving community in there. There's lots going on. People asking questions about music business, commiserating about songwriting, clubbing, gigging, gear, hooking up songwriting sessions, like even internationally. It's awesome. And we want you to be a part of it. So come and do that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your podcast. We're pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. And leave a rating and review. Five-star rating and review, hopefully. Hopefully. Be honest. We're not telling you what to leave, but be honest. If it's one star, we'll read that too, but we'll read them on the air. Finally, tell a friend about it. If you're giving us 30 or 40 minutes of your time on a weekly basis, that's something. We don't take that lightly, but that's we right. know there must be something there that's compelling to you because you're busy. Share that with somebody else and let them know so that we can help them too. That's right. And speaking of reviews, we do have a new five-star review that I want to share with y'all. 
Oh, I want to hear this. Yes. This is a tasty five-star review from Jehua11, something like that. So thank you. It is titled Excellent Podcast, Excellent Information and Expertly Presented. That's it. So when we say take 30 seconds, we ain't lying. That's excellent. That's excellent. It's concise. (laughs) You must be a lyricist. You direct into the point. That's right. I have in no uncertain terms know exactly what she means. And I love it. So thank you, Jay Wah. Thank you, Jay Wah. We appreciate it. We don't know that Jay Wah is a girl, but I just found Jay Wow from (laughs) Jersey Shore. (laughs) Oh, I'll have to take your... I just uh, assumed that. it was I a female, but I don't no know. Idea. Like, <laughs> I thought they sounded confused because they're like, Jay, what? Jay, what? <laughs> so what are we going to learn today, man? All right. Today we're going to learn that songwriting success is not what you think. So yeah, I want to pull back the curtain on the real songwriting success on what it is. I'm not talking about what you think you know. I'm not talking about what you think songwriting success is. I'm going to give you a peek into the real thing, or at least my version of the real thing. Sound all right? All right. All right. Yeah. So here's my warning, my disclaimer. Okay, so the beginning of this episode is probably going to sound like bragging, but trust me, it's not. So give me a chance to bring this thing home before you turn off the podcast and cuss at me for being some arrogant egomaniac. I mean, I am, but whatever. So, okay. (laughs) Are you with me? (laughs) These are lies right off the bat. Do you trust me? No, you just lied to me. (laughs) (laughs) You said you were an arrogant egomaniac. I know that to not be true. Oh, well, you just got to know me better. So if y'all trust me, let's get through this part and then it's going to be hopefully a safe landing at the end. So here's the deal. Toward the end of summer, my family took a trip to Amelia Island, Florida. So Emily and I got married there 14 years ago. We decided to go back. Our kids had never seen the ocean other than flying over it. And COVID be danged, we packed up and we went. Here's a little sidebar. Okay, before you mask holes out there hyperventilate, let me assure you that we were careful. (laughs) Mask holes. I just made that up last night when I was working on this episode. I was like, that's awesome. I like that. So, Dude, hold on. Wait, I got to interrupt you for a second. So Labor Day weekend, I flew down to Florida (laughs) to see some friends, okay? Uh Uh-huh. I hadn't seen in a while. I'm down in Tampa, and there's a band playing at the bar. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. And... (laughs) Talk about a mask hole. There's like some lady screaming at people on the dance floor for not wearing masks, right? But she's got her mask off while she's screaming at them. <laughs> and I'm just like, is the irony lost on everybody? Exactly. Here? Like, Why don't you just go home if you're so upset? Why are you there? I know. I didn't get it, but I just like, you're spitting everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell these people that are just up checking out the band to go put a mask on, you know, and this is Florida. They don't care. We're rebels. Anyway, I thought I'd share that with you. You said mask hole. I'm like, I know what she looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so we were careful. The beaches at Amelia Island hardly had anyone on them. Nobody around us. We ate in our condo with five kids. One does not simply walk into a restaurant and eat. Okay. So <laughs> especially with Hurricane Hazel. Exactly. I even bought painters shoe coverings for us to wear and throw away after our gas station bathroom pit stops. We were like sanitizing, spraying our shoes under the hoodies, mask up, all that stuff. Okay. So don't give me grief about traveling during a pandemic. It's been over two weeks and we're fine. <laughs> so you're telling me everybody looked like Kenny from South Park, just all bundled up. No, nah, you can't see their faces. <laughs> yeah, just when we walked in, it was pretty fun. We have shoe coverings on and mask on. My wife felt silly. I'm like, it's okay, you have a mask on. We don't know these people. Anyway, 
<laughs> so that week at the beach wasn't just a good time. I mean, there's a point to this. I actually had some really cool business things happen when I was down there. So on Tuesday of that week, I got word that a friend of mine cut one of our songs for her upcoming Southern Gospel album. And she's hoping it's going to be a single. So that was cool, you know. The next day on Wednesday, I text a country artist buddy of mine. Hey, do we need a demo for this song that we wrote? And he hit me back. He's like, nah, we don't need a demo. My producer already thinks it's a smash. I'm like, sweet. All right, good. And then on Thursday, three days in a row, that's when the Dove Award nominations were announced. And the song that I co-wrote, Can I Get a Witness, is up for Southern Gospel Song of the Year. Can I get a witness? Dove Award. Come on, buddy. Yeah, so a That's pretty hot. fun week. That's hot. It was fun. I'm like, this is a good week to be at the beach. Again, this sounds braggy, but stick with me, okay? Emily and I got a lot of good laughs about the following thought, because this thought kept building through the week as I'd get fun text or new stuff would come out. Keep in mind, we got married on Amelia Island on the beach 14 years before. So I kept on saying, you know, if you'd have told us 14 years ago, when we were getting married on this beach, that 14 years later, I'd be full-time in the music business still, that you'd be a stay-at-home mom of five kids, three of which we adopted from China, that I'd get a cut, a text from a different artist saying that his producer thinks our song is a smash, and a freaking Dove Award nomination for Song of the Year on a recent number one single, all in a week in which we're back at Amelia Island for a family vacation. We'd be thinking, we're rich, Brent's super successful, and we're such good, good people. <laughs> That's what we'd be thinking, right? If you just drop that, you know, like Future Brand shows up at our wedding reception. It was like, by the way, 14 years from now, this, 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 and this is going to happen the week that you're back. We'd be thinking, we're rich. I'm really successful. And we're such good people. Well, spoiler alert. <laughs> it ain't what you think it is. <laughs> All right. This is like Instagram versus behind the scenes uh -huh. of the songwriter life. So again, I don't share this stuff to brag. While I am super thankful for that week, and for the fact that I do get to be in the music business full time, I share this story to tell you that it's not what you think. It's not all rainbows and unicorn farts. Okay. <laughs> Here's the truth. Aren't rainbows unicorn farts? Isn't that redundant? It might be. I don't really know. I haven't looked into it that much, to be <laughs> I don't honest. I know much about unicorns. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Here's the truth about songwriting success. Most cuts look better on the biography than they do on the bank statement. And they look better on the wall than they do in the wallet. Okay. This isn't the nineties anymore where everybody goes gold or platinum. You can have a cut on a name country artist, like a name you could recognize. And if it's not a single, if it's just an album cut, you might not even earn enough to cover a monthly mortgage payment, much less buy a new house off of it. So let that sink in for a minute. These days, we're streaming the way it is. People aren't buying records the way they used to. It's not the 90s. You might know the artist's name, and it looks good on the biography, but it doesn't look great in the bank statement. I mean, it's nice, but it's not going to buy me a new house, okay? I'm not retiring off this cut on an artist that maybe people even have heard of. Here's another thing. You can have a hit in Canada, and that can get you a used car, okay? <laughs> you can have a hit in Southern Gospel, and we'll see, TBD. But I know it's less than Canadian money. I know that. So just because a writer's getting cuts, it doesn't mean they're high rolling. All right. It's a penny business. And what you got to do is you got to stack up as many streams of pennies as you can. A couple of Ray Stevens cuts here, some Gord Bamford Canadian cuts and a number one single there. A Joe Nichols album cut that generates some streaming and still by far my biggest moneymakers, a top five U.S. country single. Now, that's real money and I won't lie. But sitting here several years later, that top five is not quit your job money. Not by any means. Yeah, But what you do is you stack those pennies together, and then eventually you're thankful at the end of a quarter <laughs> when the royalty statements come in. And so that's why my wife and I were laughing, because 
yeah, that stuff happens. We can say, oh, you know, got this cut, got this call, got this nomination. We're rich. No, far from it. Now, as Americans, globally speaking, we're all wealthy. So if you're listening to this, congratulations, you're rich too. Good job on that. Yeah, you're in the top 1%. <laughs> exactly. If you have the ability to listen to this podcast on a global scale, you're rich. So congratulations. But what you think of as rich is always somewhere ahead of where you are. We ain't rich. And that's why we got to laugh out of it because we see behind the curtain. We see the ugly every day, the muck and the mire. That would sound really great, but we know better. And that's why I want to share that with you guys to see a little bit of like, this is kind of what it is for middle-class songwriters, for people that are able to be in the business, but aren't that little tip top of the mountain that are getting the number, a bunch of number ones and are making most of the money. What's it like for the rest of us? That's what I want to share today. And maybe this is the part where you want to leave. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you don't want to know about it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you should have left. Sorry. Thank you for sticking around with us. Maybe the beginning part wasn't the worst part after all. Maybe this part I sound whiny. I don't know. But the bottom line is that most middle-class songwriters aren't floating a family seven on songwriting alone. They just aren't. Most people, their spouses work. They don't have that many kids. They have another job on top of the songwriting. They have multiple streams of income coming in that kind of stuff. Why does my wife get to stay home? Partly because we can't afford daycare during the summer. <laughs> Seriously, that's part of it. You start doing yeah. the math going, what would it cost to have somebody watch our kids while you go to work? Well, why am I doing that? My wife went to school for cosmetology. And so she could seriously consistently bring in great money as a hairstylist, but she doesn't love it. And we made a different choice for our family. You know, we choose to be home with our kids over bigger income and more comfort. And it's a trade-off for sure. Sometimes we miss having that extra income. That's why we haven't been out to Amelia Island in 14 years. And the whole adopted three kids from China thing, that's part of why we would think like, oh my gosh, we're rich. We adopted three kids from China. No, that's not a rich thing. That's a God thing. We couldn't afford it. And he showed up in some amazing ways to fund bringing Ren and Quill home. And as for Hazel, well, we traded Hazel for our retirement accounts. <laughs> so we get her, <laughs> not them. So Shane McAnally or Ashley Gorley, they could probably just sit down and write a check and bring three kids home. Like, no doubt. But most songwriters can't do that. We couldn't. Not without a lot of sacrifice and a lot of miracles along the way, honestly. And there are very few songwriters who are making six figures from songwriting. And six figures is what it took to bring three kids home. So you don't want to go into this expecting to get rich as a songwriter. My family gets by on Hustle, Songwriting Pro, Royalties, and the Grace of God. Honestly, I just have to make it a point not to look too closely at the math because it'll freak me out. God's told me to trust him and... By golly, he keeps me in a place where I have to trust him and keep those trust muscles strong. And you know what, though? He's never let us down. He scared the crap out of us several times, but he's always provided at the end of the day. And so I just want to disabuse some of y'all that notion of, oh, man, you get an Alan Jackson cut. People ask me back when that happened, like, can you retire now? No. And that was with the top five <laughs> single. Not happening. And sure not happening, what, 15 years later. And like the Joe Nichols cut or some of these other cuts, again, some things look better on the wall than they do in the wallet. It's part of building that career. It's part of stacking those pennies. But that's kind of what it is. You're trying to put little streams of pennies together to make enough of a river that'll float your boat. But it's not easy. So not to the, hey, we're rich part that we would have thought if you showed us a snapshot of that week, the week we got married. Scratch that. Definitely not rich. Where's the Ferrari? Exactly. <laughs> no. We got the van. We got the minivan. I drive a used <laughs> car. I sold my hit truck at one point. When Alan happened, I got a silver Toyota Tacoma that I loved. It was like my first new vehicle and paid for this truck. And that was pretty awesome. 
and I love that truck. And eventually family, a publishing deal ends. You got a baby on the way. My wife is doing some nannying work at the time and has twins that she needs to drive around. And we need a family car to carry around Ozzy and these twins that she's nannying for. And bye-bye goes the hit truck. And it still hurts me when I see one on the road. That's after having a hit. This is the real life of a songwriter. Okay. Even successful, which is the other part. We would have thought, oh my gosh, we're super successful, right? To have that kind of week and be at the beach. And I do not consider myself super successful by any means. I do realize that I am successful though. I mean, I get to walk upstairs to my home office with a window unit air conditioner, by the way, and I get to write songs on a regular basis. And some of those songs get cut. So, hey, when I started out, I would have been like, hey, that's success. But I also know that, again, a lot of success looks better on the wall than it does on the wallet. And that's why it took us 14 years to get back to Amelia Island. So, yeah, I'm successful. I remember I was doing an event with what would become Songwriting Pro with a buddy of mine, Chad Green, who was a uh, you know, publisher. He's a PRO rep at ASCAP. And he talked about carving out a realistic songwriting career by getting some cuts here, some cuts there, publishing deal every now and again, and that kind of stuff. You know, you kind of cobble together this career. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. And the longer I've lived since then, I'm like, yeah, that's what most people do. Most middle-class songwriters are getting by, putting together streams of pennies. And so that's what we're doing. Oh, and to close the loop on the we're really good people part, because we adopted, because that's what we would have thought about ourselves too. <laughs> we thought we adopted three kids from China. We're rich and we're really good people. Okay, well, let's just say that God shows you just how not good you really are deep down when you bring home three strangers with issues. Yeah. And I mean issues. Actually, those issues are more like subscriptions. <laughs> so when you bring home children who have been through the trauma of abandonment and orphanages plus physical challenges and you throw them in a new culture with a new language and a family for their first time, they're going to bump up against your own personal issues. And you're going to find yeah. out you got some personal issues. Turns out Emily and I aren't really good people. We were just comfortable this whole time. And when you get <laughs> uncomfortable, you sometimes just see how selfish and unchristlike you really are. But in keeping with the theme today, though, that's not what you think either being broken and kind of revealed to go, oh, it's not everything I thought it would be. Like, I'm not everything I thought I was. That could be a wonderful, painful gift. So as a sidebar, it shows us just how awesome God is that he puts up with our crap. Because if we were him, I'd be sick of me by now. Oh, I am that kid with issues that would drive God up a wall if he weren't so good and loving and patient. So anyway, it was an amazing week, but it was also revealing going, wow, on the outside, if you just get the Cliff's notes, what are the highlights of this week? Oh, got a cut. Producer thinks it's a smash. Got a Dove Award nomination. We're rolling. And look at these kids we have here. Wow. And we're back at the beach where we got married and we're on vacation. I didn't have to ask a boss. This is awesome. And you know what? It is awesome. But it's also not everything you would think it would be. And I just wanted to put that out there and, and just kind of pull it back a little bit. Maybe it's pulling back a Band-Aid more than it's pulling back the curtain. But just to let y'all know that the people that are making the huge money, very, very small percentage of songwriters, most writers, their wives or their husbands got jobs. They have other sources of income. They gig out. They play. They produce. I call them slash songwriters. Yeah. They're songwriter slash touring musician or producer or barista or waiter or whatever else it might be. High school English teacher. Yeah. And these are people that you could say are successful too, that have gotten some cuts or maybe do have a publishing deal because most publishing deals don't pay much of anything 
these days, unless you already have a big track record. And so there are these people that are bivocational and are successful songwriters, but may not even be doing it full time. Listen, the ones who are, mm-hmm. they're doing it full time, mm-hmm. right? They're writing boatloads of songs every week. And so if your intention, I think, is to be a professional songwriter, there's no right or wrong answer to this. I've known some professional songwriters who do like 12 songs a week, Mm -hmm. and they'll tell you, hey, most of them suck. Yeah. I'll write for three weeks to get to one good one, and that's their process. Yeah, it's their process, and there's some they'll write 12 songs a year, but they'll all be killer. Mm -hmm. I just think that, let's put it this way, the ones who write 12 songs a year, I don't know how many they wrote. To get to that level. To get where each one could be that good. Because it takes a lot of reps to get that good. Yeah. Where all 12 are going to be great. And so I think that the world's changing and it's changing for the better. Mm -hmm. And I think that the people who aren't keeping up with it are going to be left behind. And just like in a previous episode where we talked about the top 43,000, that exclusive club of top 40 artists and songs is now the top 43,000. It's very much less exclusive. Yeah. And there's 40,000 uploads a day on Spotify. How many of those songs are yours? Mm-hmm. How many more can you make that could be yours? And what do you got to do to get them there? Because Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. As this thing begins to mature, as this market begins to mature, songwriters are going to get paid more. Yeah. They're not going to get paid less. They're going to get paid more. And the artists are going to be the ones that are going to do it because the artists are just going to have more of a say in it than the labels. And certainly radio will be out of the question. So if you have 100 songs with 100 different artists and they're all making pennies right now, and then the pay goes up by 10 times. Mm-hmm. They're making dollars instead of pennies. That's going to be a big deal moving forward. And it's more opportunities, right? It's more opportunities for you to get that one marquee value event that is going to open some doors to some better rights and open more doors with the same people that maybe you've written with before that you got in once or twice, but you don't maybe have the cachet to get in on on a weekly basis, you know, Mm -hmm. to have a standing Wednesday afternoon with Leslie Gorley, you know, (laughs) yeah, something like that. So I think that it's just about 
the work though, like put that work in. Yeah. And it really boils down to luck being defined as an opportunity meets preparation. For sure. They say the middle class, the artist is coming. Well, that means that it is for the writers too, because first of all, a lot of the writers are artists, you know, Mm -hmm. you're somewhat of a rarity, right, Brent? A little bit of one. Yeah. As a lyricist only. Yeah. Someone who's not playing out and putting my voice on stuff. Yeah. And I think that there's something to be said about that. So just got to keep cranking it out and just pursue perfection, right? Pursue excellence, pursue being a student of the game, being a craftsman, pursue craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. And then people are going to realize that. First of all, they're going to just fall in love with your enthusiasm. Yeah. And then you'll have more opportunities. And I think that there's going to be more money to be made. I got to tell you this. I saw Blue Foley yesterday Mm -hmm. in the office. And for those of you who don't know Blue, he's got a couple Grammy noms as a songwriter and seriously good songwriter, big, huge personality. Yeah, he is. So he did this like songwriter tour in Europe. He's over in Europe for two weeks. Mm-hmm. They sold out the tour. That's great. They're songwriters. This wasn't with an artist. These are songwriters. And so they get him and me and Ray, and I'm sure you've been included on a couple of these conversations with them. But they're cooking up these different things for songwriters, for branding and stuff, Mm -hmm. right? To make the songwriter like a bigger deal, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And more of a brand as opposed to maybe just being in the background or whatever. But my jaw was on the floor. Like he's like, we sold out the tour. That's awesome. He said some of those were 250 seaters, 350 seaters. Nice. I was like, wow, man. That's cool. Once again, not for artists. For the writers. Writers. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's a little bit of some of what Seth Godin would call the dip. I mentioned the 90s where you'd sneeze on a record and go platinum, mm-hmm. in country music anyway. And then, you know, with streaming and all that stuff, financially, things are taking a big dip. There are not as many artists out there. There are not nearly as many good-sized publishing companies or staff songwriting deals available. But I think we're starting to come out of that where things like the Music Modernization Act, where we're starting to reclaim some of our rights as creators, like uh, actually – we should have a say in what you pay us, mm-hmm. Spotify. I think we should have a say in what you pay us, not just you tell us what you're going to pay us for our product and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think things are moving in a good direction there. And one thing that's cool, when it was like record sales and radio was pretty much it. If you had a song on, say, you know, Joe Nichols record, like I have one on a recent Joe Nichols record. If it wasn't a single, then you get no radio play and you get just mechanicals, which is record sales money, like album sales cassettes, CD, vinyl, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that would be it. And now maybe if you are in a publishing deal, all that mechanical stuff would go back to pay your draw. And if there was no airplay, then you get no performance money. And so it's limited on the income streams. But now that Joe Nichols record shows up on my performance stuff, I had a song on there called Crickets. It wasn't a single. And so I'm not getting like terrestrial radio airplay off of that because it never was singled. But it still shows up on... YouTube and Spotify and Pandora and Amazon and these different places where I still get performance monies from that. Now, it's not a lot because the rates are pretty terrible and it wasn't a big hit song either. So it's not one of these like, oh, that's one of Joe's biggest hits or whatever. I definitely still make more of like Alan Jackson streaming and that sort of stuff because Monday Morning Church was a top five versus an album cut. Sure. But also seeing like with these Southern Gospel cuts I'm getting, whether they're a single or not. They're going to show up on streaming and you start thinking about the long tail and it could be independent artists too. Over time, you start stacking these pennies up and going, okay, well, I have a single out on Wilburn and Wilburn right now in in Southern Gospel, a song called Hallelujah Homecoming. And we'll see how well it does, but it's one of those. They've been artists for a while and as 
Southern gospel, you know, they're lagging on streaming and stuff, but that's going to be out there and something that can earn income for the rest of my life on streaming. It just shows up on these playlists or people go back and dig through their catalogs and just put it on and play it. You start adding these things up, which in addition to still record sales, but you're not as dependent on just radio spins, which radio spins are still the biggest income driver for a songwriter. But there are other things opening up too. So it's not all gloom and doom. There's some hope there. And so every time I get a cut going, well, you know, it may not pay that much this month, but it's got a long tail. And eventually just keep stacking those pennies up and that long tail gets fatter. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I cooked this up last night. We've talked about this before in the podcast, but I was sitting there talking about it with Lala and another friend of ours last night. We had a cocktail. And this is why numbers count. This is why productivity counts. This is why consistency counts. This is why publishing. And I don't mean like you getting a publishing deal. I mean like you getting stuff out there. Yeah. Out into the ether. I've said multiple occasions on previous podcast episodes where I've compared the future of what could happen to the ability to make money with artists and with songwriters to these sort of aggregate co-ops that can happen, like with what happened to our podcast, Mm -hmm. right? Where we had good enough downloads that by ourselves, if we had a relationship with some kind of an advertiser or something, it might be interesting for them to want to monetize with us, right? Mm -hmm. But we didn't have enough downloads per month to just bring on some random national brand to monetize the traffic that we have. Right. But then American Songwriter Podcast Network gets formed from American Songwriter Magazine. And now there's 15 podcasts or 16 podcasts. And as an aggregate, immediately sexy to all brands because of the traffic that we have combined. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And you think about the deal that we made and the way that kind of works out. And I was actually in a meeting yesterday with an artist because we're talking about monetizing on Facebook and monetizing on YouTube because you monetize on Facebook now. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, man, what's to stop a bunch of artists from getting together initially? Right. Mm hmm. Like, imagine this. When the hair bands ended, when that whole genre ended, what do we go into? We went into the Seattle scene, right? Mm -hmm. It was a different sound. There was a definite vibe going on that was happening there. And there's pockets all over the world that have these things to them that just have some magic to them. Yeah. And imagine if that Seattle thing was today. And imagine if all those bands could get together and there was a such thing back then as YouTube or Facebook. Mm -hmm. And they could create a scene type business page or YouTube channel. Yeah. Okay. Each of these bands all had a little bit of traffic and they had some momentum going and they had some data and they had some fans, but they're not enough to maybe monetize on their own. But together, if you had 10 or 15 artists that had some traffic, they could make this bombastic cooperative YouTube channel Mm -hmm. that would become instantly monetizable. And then of course, somebody's just got to do the math, right? So here's how many streams or how many video views you got this month. So you get this cut of the pie, you get this cut of the pie, you get this cut of the pie. Oh yeah. And maybe that person takes an admin thing. So now all of a sudden this hasn't matured into that yet as far as I know. And what about the same thing for songwriters? So this is what just hit me now when you were talking, Mm -hmm. Brent, was we've been talking about the pending pulling of intellectual property from the record labels, from Spotify and from the streaming services. Well, they'll do it themselves. Yeah where those streaming services are not going to at least exist and do business in the way that they do now. The brand names might be there. Maybe some of them will be 
partnered up with a certain label, but the label's own the intellectual property and the owners of the intellectual property should be the first person that gets paid from any revenue that intellectual property creates. Mm -hmm. And then they can distribute out what other services that they've used to help that happen, right? But money comes to us first as opposed to going to anybody else first. So when you see Universal start their own streaming service and Warner and then Sony and then Beggars Group and all these different indie labels and BMG and they all start their own streaming services. And then all of a sudden that's going to prove to the world that it's not about Spotify or Amazon Mm -hmm. or Apple. So if they do that, and then this is where I said the free market comes in, right? Because again, distribution doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you have demand, they will be able to find it with a voice command. It's not hard to find it. So it doesn't matter where it is. It just matters that it's discoverable. Then imagine some Yahoo like me coming in and going, hey, I'm going to start a streaming platform and all you indie artists can come here and I'm going to pay you twice as much per stream. But if I get enough indie artists that are compelling and I have a certain criteria, Brent, how does Procter & Gamble work? Darned if I know. So they're a conglomerate, right? (laughs) And they own a bunch of different brands. And you know what their rule is? It's either a number one or number two brand for whatever the product is, Hmm. whether it's laundry soap or car wax or this or that or whatever the product is. If it's number one or number two, we want to own it. Hmm. There's a criteria. You come in, you got to have this amount of followers, this amount of regular traffic to your channels, this amount of boom, 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 boom. Somebody's going to figure that out and say, I'm going to put this in a conglomerate and we're going to be off of all the other platforms. You're going to be on this platform. Mm-hmm. And because we have traffic, we can charge for advertising. And the more traffic we have, the more advertising we can charge yeah. per ad. Just like the difference between what it costs for General Motors to put a commercial on a football game starting the first season at any one of the games that are going to be happening, every one of the 16 games that are going to be happening this weekend versus the Super Bowl. Yeah. Or why do they pay more for Seinfeld versus a bottom of the barrel show? Because Seinfeld had more traffic. They had more audiences. So now people who understand traffic and understand that that's where the money is can start to put these conglomerates together and maybe take an artist that wasn't going to be able to really monetize that much before, but put them in a collective where they can get at least, let's say in the beginning, maybe you're just offsetting your costs. So now it's not some expensive hobby, but you're actually making back what you spent. And what does that do for the soul? Mm -hmm. Right? You're like, oh, this is actually working. And then you can go and you can grow bigger. But man, that's a million dollar idea right there. Yeah. One thing you're talking about artists getting together. There's this thing I've noticed on social media called the 615 house. Have you run across this? No. So you know how TikTok people (laughs) Some of them get in a house together and you get these different influencers yeah. that, hey, let's go get in a house together and we'll combine forces. This is the same thing, but with young artists. I ran across it because Sammy Ariaga, he's a country artist, independent, but I've known him for years. We've written together some. We're not real tight or anything, but you know, I follow him on social media and stuff. Every once in a while, we'll holler at him. But he's like, hey, I'm part of the 615 house. And what it is, is these male and female young artists got a house in Nashville in the 615 And they're like, let's combine our platforms, basically. They each have their own, but let's do this one together and we're living in the house. So I'd pull up their TikTok and handful of posts. So not a ton. Mm -hmm. Already 1.4 million likes, 193.5 thousand followers. See, and that's going to monetize quicker as a co-op than it would separately. Some of these other people, I didn't know who they were. 
but they're in the house with them. Like, oh, who are these other people? And they're doing TikToks together with millions of views, hundreds of thousands of views. And it's like, hey, we each got our own thing going on, our own platform, our own fan bases. Let's get together and combine them. Yeah. And reach millions. Yeah. And they're doing it on their own. Do they need permission? No, they don't need permission. Yes. This is what sort of drove me to think this. If you started a YouTube channel today for Brent Baxter, right? Mm. And you put up one video and you hit a grand slam right out of the park. And let's say that one video went viral and that video got 20 million views. Well, by accident on YouTube, let's say if it was a cover song, you're going to make two to 3,000 bucks per million views. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because of traffic. But if you are a channel that has, say, three, four, five hundred thousand subscribers, and every video that gets put up on that channel has got at least a million or two million views, and you got some ones that are bigger and some outliers that are smaller, but there's a very seven figure steady flow of traffic, mm-hmm. then you can take those same million views and negotiate up with the advertisers and do 30 to 50,000 per million views. Yeah. Leverage. Leverage. So now do you see how powerful you guys are with this? So now you can come in and say, Hey, we're going to jack this up and we're going to get the writers involved. Why? Because they got the killer songs. This is still developing, but mark my words. I think I've been batting a thousand. That's how this is going to happen. And I might just do this my damn self. (laughs) Think about that for streaming too, for a bunch of artists to pull all their stuff because they've got traffic Mm -hmm. to pull it all from somewhere else. The difference between real traffic and playlist traffic is sort of the difference between a festival ticket and a hard ticket sale for a concert. Like I'm just going to go to this festival because I'm here and it's the freaking pig parade and podunk bfe and this is what we do and they got a bunch of bands playing and i'm going to spend 15 bucks to go see this live entertainment it's going to be real fun versus i'm going to go see brent baxter play at a 500 seater right because i love brent it's a much stronger ticket it means more it's more powerful and same thing with the playlist in that but when you can bring that collectively together on this podcast network, this podcast, they're going to get more traffic than others, but mm-hmm. they're going to take the total amount of money that the revenue creates, and then everybody gets divided up by the amount of traffic that you created. Mm-hmm. This is how songwriters are going to get paid. This is how everybody's going to get paid more. This is what's going to happen. Awesome. Well, in closing, chased a big old rabbit for a while, and that's in the future, and that's hopeful, and that's awesome. But you know, as I wrap this up, I hope, Climber, that you are one of the ones who beats the odds out of the ones who beat the odds. I hope you're the 1% of the 1% of songwriters, the one who make amazing income from music, but you can't get into it for that. You have to do it for the love of the art, the love of writing songs. That's the thing that's going to sustain you through the ups and the downs and knowing you can make more steady income doing something else, selling insurance or real estate or whatever it might be. And those are good things if you like doing them. But if you're going to be in the music thing, it's got to be because you love the thing. You got to do it for the feeling of being in a room with other creatives and just having a blast writing songs. That's a lot of why I do it and to keep me out of a cubicle. And if it allows you to live a life where you don't have to ask your boss's permission to take a week off to go to the beach, that's success. Hell yeah. But it's scraping by getting to do what you love while keeping your family fed and together. It's following God the best you can, coming up short again and again, and him being there to pick you back up, dust you off, and let you know he's not done with you yet. That's songwriting success that you don't usually see on Facebook or Instagram or hear about on the award shows. That's right. 
that's songwriting success. And I hope you have it someday. I hope you're having it now. But you know what? Hey, I got a gift for you just for making it all the way through the braggy parts and the whiny parts, <laughs> all the way to the end. And the rabbit hole. And chasing the rabbits. It's my free ebook called Think Like a Pro Songwriter. It's my gift to you at songwritingpro.com. You just look up the top menu and you find the button that says free gift. It's right there at the top right. Just tell me where to send it. I'll send it right out to you. Just some of the lessons I've learned over my years, the ups and the downs in the music business. So it's an easy read. I'm not trying to write war and peace here. So it's a quick, easy read, helpful, get you started. Again, it's my gift to you at songwritingpro.com. And then just look at the free gift up at the top. Right on guys. Well, that brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Join the Climb community on Facebook. If you haven't, we want to see your bright, shining faces there. We want to hear all about what you're up to and stay in touch. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your podcasts. Make sure that you leave a rating and review. Okay, we're trying to get to 200. Hopefully it's a five-star, but if it's a one-star, we'll read it on the air. And tell a friend about it. If you gave us all this time, there must be some reason you're here. Tell somebody else about it because we could help them too. This podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.